Good morning. Feels earlier than 8.30, doesn't it? A little bit, huh? Oh, time change. Thank you. Uh, hey, um, I ended up this last week going to the movies on Friday night. And if you have not seen it, you need to take a look at this. How many people have seen Jesus Revolution yet? If you have not seen it, you need to go. And when people look down the row at you, you just need to tell them you have allergies, okay? Because it'll get, it'll get you. It'll get you the whole time. I, it, it kills me. If you don't know the story, this is a true story about the Jesus People movement of the late 60s and the early 70s in Southern California. It was the birth of Calvary Chapel, and, uh, and it started with this little struggling church and and basically this struggling pastor, right, where they welcomed in hippies and surfers and they started coming to Jesus by the thousands. And the whole time you're watching it, you're thinking to yourself, it feels a little bit like the book of Acts. It feels a little bit like the book of Acts that we have been reading about. Uh, and, but before any of that could happen, this, this rundown pastor in this rundown little church had to make some big changes. Change is hard. Can I get an amen at anyone? Where are my older people? Change is hard. All the younger people who are laughing, I, I don't laugh too hard, right? Uh, if I go to the store and I pay in cash and the bill is $11.32 and I hand over a $20 bill and a $1 bill and a quarter and a nickel and two pennies, that means I want back a... bill. But if God forbid the young person puts in $20 into the cash register, they are struggling with like, I'm asking them to do the Pythagorean theorem, right? They can't figure it out at all. Change is hard for you young people, right? Um, Why is change so hard? Well, it's because we love our familiar, comfortable situation. We love our comfort zone. Don't mess with my comfort zone. Don't mess with my microphone either. Don't mess with my comfort zone. Uh, I found this quote as I was sort of getting ready this week, and it says this. It says, comfort is a drug. Once you get used to it, it becomes addicting. Give a weak person consistent stimulation, good food, cheap entertainment, and they'll throw their ambitions right out the window. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. You believe that? It's a little bit true. I mean, that's obviously not in the spiritual realm, but it it really can be true because it's so much easier to stay in our comfort zone. But if you never leave your comfort zone, you will never grow. You'll never go anywhere and you'll never grow. Some of you know what I'm talking about. How many people, it was hard to leave your comfort zone this morning? The alarm clock went off. The covers were warm. It was still dark outside. What's up with that? Anybody else know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, it was hard to leave our comfort zone this morning. You thought, why should I have to get up? By the way, oh, camera two over there. If you're watching online, we love you anyway. We know. I mean, at least you made the effort. You turned on your computer and you clicked a couple of times. But are you, you're not still in bed now, are you? Are you wearing your pajamas? No. Okay. Hey, God bless you. We're, we're so glad you're here. I mean, there. Whatever. You're, you're somewhere. 
Listen, if you want to grow, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And so you're here, I'm here, we're going to grow together this morning. Um, but here's the thing, and we're going to see this in, in Acts and specifically in this passage this morning. If you won't leave your comfort zone voluntarily, sometimes God will force you out of that comfort zone. Here's our first point this morning, if you follow along with me. We're going to cover two chapters of Acts, so buckle up. We may be forced out of our comfort zone. We may be forced out of our comfort zone. The early church would be. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, Saul was the official witness, was one of the official witnesses at the killing of Stephen. Oh, your translation's different than mine. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Glenn told us about last week. A great wave of what? Persecution. Persecution began that day, sweeping over the church. In Jerusalem, and all the believers, except for the apostles, were what? They were scattered through the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. We see some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going literally everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Up until now, this new church in the book of Acts, everything's been, they've had great success everywhere they've gone, right? There's been rapid growth, miracles. They were meeting together, sharing everything, helping the poor, and more and more and more people were trusting and calling on the name of Jesus every day. Literally every day. We see it in Acts chapter 2 as we flash back a little bit. It says they worshiped together in the temple each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper supper, and shared their meals with great what? Joy. Joy. And what else? This all sounds pretty good. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And how often? Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's all sunshine and rainbows in the early church. Like it's going great. Like things are awesome. I mean, sure, the apostles have been dragged into court a couple of times, but they'd always been released, and and everything just kind of kept going and growing, and it was all good. But now, Stephen, we saw last week, has gone before the court, and this time they reacted differently. This time they stoned him to death, right? Right on the spot, killed him right then and there. And this young man, Saul, who's going to become so important, watched the whole proceedings, and he, and he began to wreak havoc on the church. It was a little bit like the calm before the storm. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's, it's a bit older now, but, but Pearl Harbor was a movie that was out, oh, it's got to be 10, 15 years ago now. But the one of the most striking moments of Pearl Harbor is the battle scene. But what I think is even more striking is right before that battle scene, there's this, there's this sequence across the island of Hawaii. It's an early Sunday morning, and kids are playing out on the ball field. And they pan across this, this uh, hospital and, and the beds are empty and it's all, you know, the breeze is just flowing. It is a quiet Sunday morning and nobody had any idea what was about to happen at Pearl Harbor. And it was the same with this church here. They had no idea what was coming, right? That's what happens. And the church runs for its life. Literally, grab a bag and run for your life. Imagine if something happened here this morning that was so catastrophic that you thought, I better go home right now and get a bag and get out of Dodge. 
That's what had happened to this early church, right? They fled town, they left their homes, and they went to the outskirts of Judea and Samaria. And those, you know, those that stayed behind, many of them were dragged from their homes and, and maybe even beaten or, or put in jail. And behind it all was a young man named Saul. We're going to learn more and more about him as the book of Acts go on. The Saul, we're told in Scripture, was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the son of a Pharisee. He was a Roman citizen. He was educated in Jerusalem by Gamaliel and one of the most promising Pharisees in Jerusalem. And Saul really believed he was serving God by persecuting this church. And they entered into these houses and they would beat people and and they would imprison them. And and if you'll renounce your faith, we're going to let you go. But if you don't, we're going to take you with us and put you in jail. And it reminds me that every time, every time we start to get comfortable in some part of our life or in our faith, when everything is going fine, I start to look over my shoulder because I know something's coming. Something is going to push us out of that comfort zone and make life difficult and uncomfortable. And the truth is spiritually this. We can be prompted or we can be forced out of our comfort zone. We can be prompted or we can be forced out of our comfort zone. Well, You know, the book of Acts, as we've talked about it, is if you look in your Bible, it may say the Acts of the Apostles. I would propose that this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit moving in this church, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is being poured out, and this happy-go-lucky group of believers who enjoyed all the favor of all the people, uh, and, and they saw all that happen, now they are being forced out of their comfort zone. This might seem like the end of the church at this moment as they're being scattered, but it's just the beginning because Saul's persecution would actually be a part of God's plan and will fulfill Jesus' own words. Jesus in Acts 1.8 says it this, But you will receive power when who? The Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. First where? Then where? Throughout Judea and where else? And then lastly... The problem is nobody's left Jerusalem at this point. Nobody's left Jerusalem, right? So the Holy Spirit allows them to be forced out. Saul didn't destroy the church. He just moved the church. Like, this is the first church planting movement in the history of the world. The church moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Let me show you the map there. There's Jerusalem up at the top there. Judea is the region to the south, and Samaria is the region to the, to the north. And these believers are being pushed out, literally pushed both directions out into the world. And it would force the spreading of the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Here's the truth. Sometimes God has to push us. He has to push us in strong ways to move us where he wants us to go. And he'll push us out of comfortable surroundings so that he can accomplish his purpose through us. Listen, when we finally leave our comfort zone, you'll find that we will find new opportunities out of our comfort zone. The moment you leave your comfort zone, you're going to see some new opportunities in your comfort, outside of your comfort zone. Acts 8, 4 through 8, the story continues. But the believers who were what? They were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. 
Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see what? This is important. The miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were what? Healed. So there was great joy in that city. We're reintroduced to a guy by the name of Philip. Philip was a part of that group of men that Stephen and Philip and others had been a part of. They were a part of a feeding ministry coming out of the Acts Church, right? Um, they were chose to oversee this food distribution program. They were the first deacons of the church, really. Um, but instead of running and hiding in Judea and Samaria, they ran and continued to tell everybody about Jesus and even did miracles along the way. We're going to see that Philip was prompted to share his faith. And he responded. Everywhere he went, he shared his faith. He did miracles and, and, and healings and, and he preached to the crowd and they listened intently and demons were cast out um, and people were healed. And the persecution that filled Jerusalem, it says, and I love that passage, it says it brought joy to Samaria. The persecution of Jerusalem brings joy to Samaria. And Samaria, of all pieces, Places I, I sometimes think we can't get our head around what it was like to live in uh, Samaria. Samaria. Samaritans um, are, were a half-breed kind of people. They were people who were uh, a mixture of Jew and Gentile. And the Samaritans had their own temple. They openly opposed fraternization with the Jews. Um, and I don't think we really understand the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. They had a real hatred for each other. Um, we, you know, we hear about it today, ethnic cleansing, genocide in other countries. You know, for all the racial tension that we have in America, it's sort of weird because we're all half-breeds, right? We're all immigrants who married other immigrants, and then they married some other immigrants, and then they had a third generation, a fourth generation. Like, I don't, when people ask you, what are you, what do you say? Uh, that's exactly, I'm, I'm, I'm 13%. I just found out I'm Native American. That would have so helped when I was applying for college. I'm telling you right now. I've got some Native American in me. And, and, but we're all a little bit of everything. And so we look at each other and, and I don't know, we don't judge each other, I, I don't think, as harshly as the world would make us believe we're all judging each other, to be honest with you. But the truth of the matter is, is these people really disliked each other. And the, the interesting thing is Saul, this religious elite, instead of putting out the fire that he thought he was putting out, he actually spread the fire. He spread the fire to Samaria and Judea. There's an interesting parallel in our time. In 1949, uh, in China, when the national, go national government was defeated by the communists, there were 637 China inland missionaries were forced to leave China. They rounded them up and told them, you have to leave China now. And it seemed like a total disaster. Every, every missionary to China had to leave. Yet within four years, 286 of those had been redeployed to Southeast Asia and Japan. While the national Christians, the one left in China, even under severe persecution, they multiplied. And in 1990, they had multiplied to 30 to 40 times how many they had started with in 1949. In fact, just this last year I was reading, according to Boston College, over the past four decades, Christianity has grown faster in China than anywhere else in the world. 
Daryl Island, a, a, a Boston University School of Theology research assistant professor of mission, estimates that the Christian community there has grown from 1 million to 100 million in the last 40 years. Is that unbelievable? But it came because of persecution. The persecution created that kind of growth. And there are many people who estimate that today the fastest place where the gospel is growing, where Christianity is growing, is in China. Right? When we leave our comfort zone, when we get, even when we get pushed out of our comfort zone, we give God a chance to work, and he opens new doors for the gospel. So, you never know who you will meet out of your comfort zone. You never know who you're going to meet out of your comfort zone. We meet this very interesting guy, Simon, in the next passage of this scripture here. It says, a man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be what? Claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as, get this, the great one, the power of God. It's a pretty good nickname, don't you think? Like if that was my nickname, uh, when people describe me around here and they're like, you know, Steve, the goofy one, that's what they say. Okay, this would be a pretty good nickname. The great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his what? With his magic. Boy, I wanted to do a magic trick today really bad. Should I do a magic trick? No, I don't have any magic tricks. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were what? baptized then simon himself was believed and was what baptized he began following philip wherever he went and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles philip performed um i don't think this was normal magic do you know what i'm talking about how many people have ever seen a card trick that you were mesmerized by eh Right? You look at a card trick, you're like, eh, whatever, who cares, right? How many people remember when David Copperfield made like a jet disappear? I'm thinking that's more Philip's level, if you know, I mean Simon's level. F- Simon, you know, I think he was doing magic that was like, you don't get the name, the great one, the power of God without doing really good magic is what I'm thinking, right? And so I'm looking at this and thinking that. And, and Philip comes to town and now Philip is performing miracles. Right? And, and I try to think how people must have thought about this. They must have thought to themselves, well, this is interesting. That guy Simon does these magic things. And now Philip is here doing miracles. And it must have just seemed like magic to them the same way that it was just kind of magic. But it's hard to tell the difference between Simon's tricks and Philip's tricks. But people could tell the difference. They knew that what Philip was doing wasn't a trick. They could tell that this was a real miracle and that he had real power. And I don't think Simon wanted to be the second best magician in Samaria. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them what? Money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the what? See, you never know who you're going to meet when you get outside your comfort zone. Simon, uh, he has this nickname, the great one, right? The power of God. And, and the great one, you know, when he's confronted by Philip, he, he believes. But did Simon really believe in the name of Jesus? I, I sometimes wonder, did Simon, 
really believe in that? Or was he just looking to get some miracles bigger than his own? Like maybe he thought to himself, uh, if I hang around this Philip guy long enough, maybe I'll figure out how he does it, right? Maybe it's not to hear the word. Maybe it wasn't to learn more about Jesus. But maybe he just wanted to see some more miracles and perhaps learn how they were done. See, Simon was prompted by selfish motives. He was prompted by these selfish motives we see a little bit later on in Scripture. When Peter and John hear about what's going on in Samaria, they came to them and they brought the Holy Spirit. They, they laid hands on and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And Simon sees this power and he wants it for himself. And he offers to buy it. And bam, that's a mistake. Right? Peter's reply is this. He says it in Scripture. If you look in your, in your chapter there, it says, May your money perish with you. He says, Your heart's not right. Man, your heart's not right. Simon was interested in these miracles. And and Simon, even though, get this, Simon had professed faith. He had even been baptized. But it appears he wasn't a true believer. He was looking for the next great trick. He just wanted a little more magical power. And I think for me, the story of Simon highlights how close someone can get to salvation and still not get it. They just don't get it. Simon heard the gospel. He saw the miracles. He gave this profession in Christ. Heck, he was even baptized, right? And yet he still just didn't get it. As the story continues, I want you to see another story here. You never know what you'll be asked to do outside of your comfort zone. You'll never know what you'll be asked to do outside of your comfort zone. In Acts chapter 9, we turn to chapter 9 and it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressing to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, Back to Jerusalem in chains, right? So we turn back to Saul, I'm Paul, Saul, Saul at this point, right? Uh, he's persecuting the church and he's so zealous that he's going to go 150 miles to Damascus to round them up and put them in chains and drag them back to Jerusalem for trial. Damascus is way up at the upper right-hand corner. It's the city up there at the farthest right-hand side, you got to go all the way through Samaria. you got to go all the way through Galilee. you got to cross over the river to get to Damascus. It's 150 miles. By walking, it is a two-week journey, right? And as he's on his way to Damascus, many of you know, in fact, I shared this story just a few weeks ago when I was talking about transformation, is, Paul is, is uh, Saul is hit by a bright light, and this bright light blinds him. Many of you know the story, and, and I'm actually not going to tell it again. Saul is, is miraculously encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, right, in this flash of life. And some people have tried to explain away Paul's experience, that he was maybe he had a heat stroke from the desert sun. This is the Middle East, you know. Maybe he was struck by a bolt of lightning, and he only thought he heard a voice. Maybe he had an epileptic seizure, right? But the Bible says he had a miraculous encounter with Jesus Christ himself. And Saul is actively forced out of his comfort zone. Think about this guy. 
Think about Saul, right? God, he has this radical conversion, right? He had spent his life as a Pharisee. He had been persecuting these Christians. And now he has a complete change of everything he knew from everything comfortable, right? And he went from a position of power to a missionary for this same Jesus that he had been persecuting. In fact, Paul would have to run for his own life many times after this. But guess what? He wasn't the, the, the reason I like this story is because of the second half of this story. The, he wasn't the only one who had to come out of his comfort zone. Saul's conversion process, after he gets struck by the bright light, involves a guy by the name of Ananias. And it says this, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. What did he say? What did he say? He said, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. How many people would like that kind of specific direction from the Lord? Go to Straight Street. Go to Judas's house. And when you get there, ask for a man named from Tarsus named what? Saul. Saul. Can you imagine what he thought when he heard that name? What do you mean Saul? What do you mean Saul from Tarsus? He's praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him, right? So he can see again. Then he says what? First he says, yes, Lord. Now he says, but Lord. Anybody ever said but Lord to the Lord? But Lord. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the what? The terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to what? Arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, what did he say? Go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must, what? Suffer for my name's sake. When I say the name Ananias, what do you think of? Do you think of this guy? Or do you think of the guy from a couple of weeks ago who got struck dead? I I feel like the more famous Ananias is the Ananias who got struck dead. Who should be the more famous Ananias? This guy. This guy leads the apostle Paul to faith. He he does what God asks him to do, and he he goes there and leads him to faith, right? Right? you know, the, God uses even the most obscure people to change history. I'm watching this silly movie called Jesus Revolution. And I'm thinking about this guy, Lonnie Frisbee, the hippie that's in the story there. Who was a down and outer, a druggie, a washed up nothing in Haight-Ashbury of San Francisco. And somehow this guy walks down to Southern California and ends up in Chuck Smith's church. And births, helps birth the Calvary Chapel movement and this great awakening that happened in the 60s and 70s. God will use the most obscure people who will just say, yes, Lord. Just say, yes, Lord. Um, he, I, now, he was an obedient Christian. Ananias was obedient. How many people here know what I'm talking about? He wasn't eager. He wasn't enthusiastic. But he was obedient, right? And get this. Ananias was prompted out of his comfort zone. He was prompted by the Lord out of his comfort zone. But you may want to circle on your outline the words, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. But Lord never really seems to work out. 
You ever notice that? But Lord never seems to work out. You, you go, but Lord, I don't think I'm qualified. But Lord, I don't. But, but Lord, it, it starts early. But Lord, I don't know what to do. But Lord, it, if God calls you to do something outside of your comfort zone, you might as well do it. God is super patient with Ananias here, right? He answers his questions. He assures him he can do the job. But call me crazy. If God appeared to me in a vision, I don't think I want to say back to God, do I have to? But, but, but Lord, do I have to? I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know. But this is Saul. This is Saul. This guy is notorious, right? This is the guy who's locking up Christians and having them beaten. But Ananias is obedient. And he led the most significant convert in the history of Christianity to faith in Jesus Christ. For every great name in the history of faith, there's the name of someone you have never heard of who helped them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to have that same obedience. I don't think we love the idea of obedience. I think obedience is something for children or, or even for the dog. You know what to do. But obedience is what gets it done in God's economy. Which leads me to... So what, Steve? What does this mean for me? How do I make sense of this? The Holy Spirit is always moving. Would you agree? Holy Spirit is always moving? I would, I would think so. The question is... When he prompts you, how will you respond? Will you say, yes, Lord? Or will you say, but, Lord? Will you say, yes, Lord, but, Lord, yes, Lord? Or will you refuse to get out of your comfort zone? Can I ask you a question? Why do you think we stay in our comfort zone? Why do we always, why is it so much easier to stay in our comfort zone? I'll give you my answer. Here's my answer. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of the unknown. You know why I like my comfort zone? In my comfort zone, I know how things are going to work out. In my comfort zone, I, I, I can be assured I'm pretty much going to succeed, right? I like to know that I'm going to not look like an idiot. And in my comfort zone, I don't look like an idiot. Uh, I, like to, I, I like to not fall flat on my face. And in my comfort zone, I, I, I can tend to guarantee I'm not going to fall on my face. But what if it is going to be a failure? What if what God is prompting you to do is going to be a failure? What if what God is prompting you to do is going to make you look like an idiot? What if what God is prompting us to do is not going to work out? Here's, here's the thing. What if we really believe, what if we actually believe that no matter what happens, if I succeed or I fail, that the Holy Spirit will still be at work in all of it? What if we actually believed Romans 8, 28? And we know that God causes everything to what? Work together for the? Of those who? And are called what? Stephen would follow the Spirit's prompting and preach his sermon in front of the religious elite. And he would be stoned to death for it. And the Holy Spirit would use that event to push the believers out of Jerusalem into Samaria and Judea. And Stephen would walk into God's presence. Ananias would follow the Spirit's prompting and with fear and trembling walk into a house with a notorious Pharisee named Saul who was killing and jailing and beating believers. And Saul 
would respond to the Spirit's prompting and become the voice who took the gospel even further beyond Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, in 1969, the Spirit prompted a Southern California pastor to welcome in some hippies. And the Spirit of God swept through the nation in a great awakening. And I think the question that anybody walking out of that movie asks is this. Could it happen again? Could it happen again? Could it happen to us? Could it happen in our lifetime? Could it happen in, uh, just in our midst around here? Because when the Spirit prompts, you have to ask this question. When was the last time you did something for the first time? When, when the Spirit prompts you to do something that you're like, I've never done that before, God. I am not sure that I am capable to do that. When was the first, when is the last time that the Spirit prompted you and you said, yes, Lord, not but Lord? When is the last time that the Spirit prompted you to do something and you said, I am going to step into this even though I have no idea how it's going to turn out? When is the last time you did something for the first time for God? I'm a, listen, let me just get real with you for just a second. Ready? I'm watching this movie, and I brought my entire family. By the way, it's ridiculously expensive to go to the movies. Does anybody know this? Yeah. I'll be eating ramen for a couple of weeks. It's fine. But I had an entire row of people sitting in the movie theater. And it was, it was, it was me and, and my family, actually. Um, my couple of my daughters, my wife, my mom came. Um, and, and, and some friends of our family were there. Um, and a couple of high schoolers from our youth group were with us. And when the credits rolled, as the family was sort of filing out in front of me, of course I, was, I had allergies, you know. Um, one of these high school kids from our church came up to me and she said this. She said, man, Steve, I want to be a part of something like that. And I said, oh, God, I want you to be a part of something like that. But the only way that any of us are a part of anything like that is that we respond when the Holy Spirit prompts us to do what he's asked us to do. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do. He may be prompting you to to get baptized and to go public with this faith that you've been holding on to. He may be prompting you to step out in faith and to to serve somewhere that you never served before. For some of you, it is terrifying. It is way outside your comfort zone to even have a spiritual conversation with somebody at work or at school. Maybe it's the Spirit is prompting you to bring someone to church for the first time and what a risk it is. God only knows what they'll talk about or, or if they'll be... You know, they like the music or whatever. Who cares? What is God, what is the Spirit of God prompting you to do? This last Tuesday, we had a guy get baptized in here. Couldn't come today and, and, and wanted to get it done right away. And he invited some friends and just a few of us sat right down there as we watched this guy. Uh, he said, and I'll never forget it, he said, I've lived my life like a Viking. And God has been changing me. And I have to do this. And I have to do it now. What is God prompting you to do? 
Would you pray with me? God, may we be sensitive to your spirit. It is so easy to go through life the way that we've always done it, God, that we could go through life comfortable every day and in every way. God, I pray that when you are prompting us that we would hear your voice clearly, that we would in obedience say, yes, Lord, God. God, that we would overcome the butlords that are in our heart and in our mind, God, and that when you prompt, we would move. Because I know, God, you're going to get done what you want to get done. You're going to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And you may even force us out of our comfort zone to do that. God, even when that happens, may we see it with your eyes. And may we, with obedience, continue to walk forward, even when you pushed us out of our comfort zone. God, begin in us and in our city and in our state God, the kind of spiritual awakening that we see in Acts, that we saw in the 60s and 70s. God, I'm desperate to see you move again. Do it again, God. In your son Jesus' name, amen.